Wrote this song while crew and Aaron on a hundred mile foot race through the trails in the rain and mud. How about that? human doings all my endurance junkies and trail enthusiasts today i record this december 30th this podcast will launch on december 31st i have a special if you will new year's episode for everyone episode 46 is with sam reed and kyle Curtin. man two awesome uh, FKTs just went down. Uh, we're going to talk about those. Um, Sam won uh, Hellbender, the Hellbender 100, in uh, 2019. We talk about that and his FKT um, on the Foothills Trail. He did it unsupported and uh, broke the FKT. Sam's a good friend, uh, a neighbor actually, doesn't live far, and training partner. Um, so I, I really enjoyed this conversation with Sam. I just met Kyle. Um, Kyle is actually an acquaintance of Sam's as well, and uh, let me know that uh, Kyle was going after the Pitchell um, FKT, the overall um, supported FKT, and um, 
Kyle's parents live here in uh, Western North Carolina, as you'll hear. And uh, he came and, and totally uh, did it. He, he broke the uh, Pitchell FKT. So um, uh, two special conversations for you. Uh, definitely a long episode. So uh, without further ado, uh, I'm going to give you Mr. Sam Reed and his unsupported FKT of the Foothills Trail. As I said in my introduction, I have with me today one of my great friends, uh, Sam Reed. Sam, how are you today? Uh, doing great. How about you? I am doing quite well. I'm looking forward to uh, to our run after this podcast. Um, Sam and I are recording remotely, um, just in the interest of, of being safe, obviously. And um, I always kind of like to give it a date stamp. We're recording here on December 21st. Um, this podcast will probably come out um, not this week, but the following. And um, but. So fortunate to have Sam here and all of his experiences. Um, I'm really looking forward to, to talking to him about uh, everything he's done. And, uh, and so we'll get right into it. Sam, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. Um, I am uh, 38 years old. Um, I'm originally from Minnesota. Um, I have uh, lived here in the greater uh, Asheville, North Carolina area for the past uh, about three years now. Um, prior to that, I had... Um, Moved back and forth between Hawaii and Colorado for about 15 years before I had kind of uh, landed here in Asheville. Um, but uh, you know, my running background, um, I, um, I started running uh, in junior high and I ran in junior high and high school, uh, both track and cross country. I was a decent runner, but certainly nothing um, nothing spectacular. Um, after my sophomore year of high school, I actually uh, stopped running and uh, didn't really run for uh, almost 15 years. Um, I, in, I would say in 2011, uh, 12, 13, somewhere in that range, I started doing a lot more hiking and backpacking. Um, and that kind of led me into, um, uh, starting to run again. I wanted to see more of the trail. I wanted to do more things. Um, and, and so, uh, I think it was in April of 2013, I actually restarted running, um, and, uh, ever since then, that's kind of been a part of my daily routine, started running ultras and, um, um, yeah, been running ever since. That, I always found it interesting. You said at one point too, you were, you were a smoker, right? Didn't you smoke or was that? Yeah, um, I was actually. So in that time frame uh, of not running for 15 years, I wasn't exactly a healthy person. Um, I, uh, I, I did smoke in my late teens and into early and mid twenties, um, uh, off and on, um, and, uh, uh, probably, uh, drank more than necessary. And, um, uh, like I said, wasn't necessarily the healthiest person. Um, uh, yeah, for, for quite a while. Well, I only say that because it's quite a transformation to where you are now. Um, you know, you've got a, a plant-based diet. Um, you know, obviously you've run uh, some, some great mileage. Um, if you, uh, if you have the chance, follow Sam on Strava. Um, Sam is very consistent. Um, the, what's your average weekly mileage, Sam? Oh man, it varies so much. Um, if I'm just kind of not, if I'm between training cycles, if I'm just doing my daily runs, uh, it might be around 60 miles, um, with 
but uh, my Strava chart looks more like shark's teeth than like a consistent line. I mean, it's a one week I might run 40 and the next week it might be 70. Um, and, and when I start uh, training more, um, I'm, I'm usually in the seventies, um, a, a typical training for an ultra. I'll be uh, up uh, above 80, maybe peak above hundred miles a week. Um, but I would say just an average week uh, I'm running, you know, 60, 70 miles, something like that. Yeah. And, and Sam has a, a good full-time job, which requires him to travel quite a bit, but you still seem to find the time. So um, it's pretty, pretty incredible. Um, so um, go ahead. What did you say? No, I was just going to say, I, 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 yeah, I mean, I've uh, obviously haven't been traveling as much this year with, with COVID, but, but in prior years, um, yeah, I do spend a lot of time on the road um, traveling both uh, uh, here domestically as well as internationally for work. And um, uh, the work itself isn't that exciting, but it, it, uh, <laughs> it gets me to some interesting places. And, and I do always try to find a way to run wherever I go. And it's not just um, trying to fit it in. I, I, I try to use the running as a way to uh, see new places and explore, um, explore places that I wouldn't otherwise uh, get to see if it wasn't for my job. But then uh, I guess kind of seeing things on foot, you get a little different perspective than if you were just passing through in a car. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I enjoy hearing about when you get back from certain places, uh, Poland and Germany, and you've, you've been, you know, some really cool places throughout the world. So, um, Sam's great to have as a, a running partner because he has some great stories to share and makes the runs go by exceedingly quick. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you got back into running. Um, now, when you got back into running, what did that look like? Um, well, like I said, at the time, I was really more into hiking and backpacking. Uh, and I don't mean like long distance through hiking. I was doing weekend backpacking trips, one, two nights, just going up into the mountains uh, myself uh, solo or with my dog or something. And, um, really running was more of a way to, uh, uh, stay in shape for the weekend so that I could do bigger weekend adventures. Um, but that did kind of transition back into actually running. Um, and, and actually when it was around that time that I started running, um, I was also uh, a vegan at the time and a friend of mine recommended that I read, uh, Scott Jurek's book, um, eat and run, uh, more from a vegan perspective than from a running perspective. And, but, I really didn't know anything about ultra running at that time. Uh, and like I said, this was um, spring, summer 2013, somewhere in that time frame. And um, I, I started reading his book and realized that there's this whole sport of ultra running where you'd, um, people are racing 100 miles. And I thought, I want to do that. And that was like instantly my goal was that I wanted to run a 100 mile race. Um, I didn't have any interest in running road marathons, anything like that. Um, so I, uh, like I said, that was spring and summer of 2013. Um, Where I, you? I think I ran a 50. Oh, I was in, uh, Denver, uh, at the time. Um, and I started running trails. I think I ran a 50 K, um, that fall, um, and a 50 miler a few months later. And within a, uh, basically a year to the week from when I started running is when I ran my first hundred miler. Uh, and that was at uh, the Zion 100 in uh, April of 2014. Oh well, R.I.P. Matt. That was uh, that was when Matt was still race directing. Yes, uh, and actually, that's when I uh, had met Matt Gunn. Um, and I've run, I had run several of his races uh, in the year since then as well. But um, but yeah, uh, and in fact, it was uh, I would say Matt's races uh, that kind of shaped my view of. Um, 
of what I felt like an ultra should be. And that's really because those were the first few races I ran, but it was really a community oriented event. And the race was really kind of secondary and nobody really cared about who won the race or who was winning. It was more just about getting together and running and, um, and hanging out afterwards. And, uh, um, I, I really took that away. Um, and I think that's really kind of what made me stick to the sport of ultra running rather than just, uh, accomplishing that goal of running hundred miles and, and saying, all right, off to the next thing. Right. Um, not to get off on, on too much of a tangent, but, um, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Matt and what he, he did more for the, you know, our sport. Um, just so, you know, we don't glaze over that. Um, do you want to talk about Matt a little bit? You, you knew him pretty, you know, fairly well, uh, having experienced his races. And- yeah. I mean, and, Sure. And I didn't, I don't want to make it sound like, uh, we were close friends or anything. I didn't, I didn't know him that well, but, um, I, I had, um, so Matt was the, uh, race director for ultra adventures. He had started, um, the series of races in the grand circle around Utah, which is, um, so he'd, he'd have these races just outside of the national parks. Um, I was one in Zion, uh, Bryce, there was, um, uh, oh, there's Antelope Canyon. There, there's a few others. Um, and he was running these, this race series and, and most of them would have multiple events, uh, everything from, uh, like a shorter sub ultra race all the way up to a hundred mile race. And they'd kind of run concurrently. Um, and, um, it, yeah, it was, like I said, it was his races that really got me into the sport itself of, of ultra running. And, um, I know, uh, I don't think we mentioned here, but, but Matt passed away, um, uh, a couple of months ago. And so it was a, it's really sad to see that. Um, it's a, definitely a big loss to our, uh, um, to our, our running community. Yes. Um, vacation races has since, um, taken over Matt's races. Um, but they implement a lot of what Matt was trying to accomplish in, um, in zero waste. Um, if, if any of you have done any of the vacation races, you'll know that a lot of their, um, um, you know, they're very into, um, creating composting, um, you know, recycling. So that was a lot of Matt's premises and he brought a lot of that to our sport. Um, I met Matt, Matt at the, uh, trail running, uh, race directing conference in Colorado and he left a lasting impression on me as to how can I be more, um, zero waste. So, um, I, I certainly appreciate you touching on that for a second. And, uh, you know, I, my, my heart goes out to his family, um, and all those he left behind, but, um, but so you did, um, Bryce and, um, let's, let's expound on that. How did Bryce go for you? Uh, Bryce, not so well. Um, I, <laughs> so I had run, uh, Zion first. Um, that was my first hundred miler. Um, and then I ran a couple of others. I went back and ran Zion for the second time in, uh, 2016. So this would have been April, 2016. Um, and I had decided I was going to run Bryce like six weeks later, which I had never run hundreds that close to each other. And you probably shouldn't. It probably wasn't a great idea. Um, and at that time as well, they've shifted the dates around a little bit, but it was being run in June and June in the desert starts to get pretty hot. Um, and, uh, I did run the first half of the, uh, the race and I was, I was running decently well, um, and then things just kind of fell apart. I started having some uh, significant heat related issues and was just having terrible hallucinations. And, um, uh, eventually I just had to call it quits. Um, I, 
it's one of two DNFs I've, I've ever had. And, um, yeah, it, it didn't finish well, but, um, having said that, that race is just spectacular. It's, I wouldn't hesitate at all to go back and do it again. It's so pretty, um, running through, uh, I think a lot of people are familiar with what the scenery of Bryce Canyon itself looks like with all the, the hoodoos, but it's actually Bryce Canyon is a, is a pretty small national park, but the area around it is, uh, has a lot of similar scenery and it's really just spectacular. And, and that's really where the race course goes. Um, and it's just, uh, just gorgeous. I, I, I really love that area of the United States around the park correctly. Correct. Cause they can't go through the park. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't go into the actual park. It goes uh, uh, around. Uh, I don't think it like circumnavigates the park, but it's just in the in the region around uh, around the outside of the park. Um, it's a uh, it's it's a really cool area. Nice. Um, so, taking away what you you found out at that race, um, how did you change going forward for a hundred? Um, you know. I guess I don't think I ever tried to run two of them that closely together again. Um, I also know that I'm not a, um, uh, a hot weather runner or racer, never have been. My other DNF uh, was at the Hurt 100 in Hawaii. Um, uh, so I've probably avoided doing hot weather races. I've spaced them out a little more. Um, but, uh, you know, truthfully, I- I've never really raced for the purpose of being competitive. I just go race where I want to race places I want to see. Um, and-, and so the fact that it, I had a DNF there, I-, I don't know that it really impacted me all that much. I just packed up and moved on to the next one. <laughs> nice. Um, so you also spent time in Hawaii, um, which, uh, you know, obviously hurt is out that way. Did you have any other attempts at hurt? No, uh, just that one time. Um, I had, there's a lottery process to get in. Um, I had only entered the lottery, uh, that one time. Um, I, I did get into the race. I, I was actually sick leading into the race. I, I had, um, <laughs> I had strep throat, um, and, uh, I had a 101 fever the morning of the race and, but it's a lottery process and I didn't know when I'd get in again. So I was like, you know what? Uh, I'm just going to go for it. And I struggled through 60 miles with a fever and, uh, running through the jungle in Hawaii. And, uh, it was not a smart decision, but, um, uh, by the time I hit mile 60, I was done. Uh, several people tried to convince me and I had zero interest in continuing at that point. Um, uh, but it, <laughs> that was my only actual attempt at the hurt 100. Um, I've been a part of it as a, uh, pacer and a volunteer on several occasions, but, um, uh, but that was my only, uh, actual run at the event. <laughs> and, um, you've also had, um, you know, some interesting experiences at cruel jewel. <laughs> Do you want to touch on cruel jewel and what that race went down? <laughs> yeah. You're talking about all my bad races here. Um, <laughs> No, that's all right. These are, these are the fun ones. Though, too. <laughs> We're going to get to Hellbender. So, you know, we get to, we get to the shining light at the end. <laughs> no, that's, that's totally fine. I'm, I'm joking, but it's a, uh, yeah. Cruel Jewel was fun. You know, I, I went into Cruel Jewel. Um, I think this would have been 2017. Um, I was, uh, in, uh, I'll say very good shape at the time. I, I felt like I was probably as fit as I'd ever been. Um, and, and Cruel Jewel is a tough course, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, it is, uh, it's uh, 106 miles, I believe. Um, and it has about, uh, geez, what is it? 30, I think it's over 30,000 feet of, yeah, 30,000 feet of elevation gain, something like that. Um, 
and it is, uh, uh, it's tough. Um, and I went in with the idea that I was going to run hard the whole way. Like I, I really wanted to push it. I wanted to try. And I think, um, uh, Nicodemus Holland was the only person who'd gone under 24 hours at the time. Um, I really wanted to, uh, see if I could, um, I didn't know if I could hit his mark, but I wanted to try and get in under 24 and I went for it and I was on pace for the first 50 or 60 miles. And, uh, truthfully, I was probably going too hard, uh, above my ability level. Um, but I didn't want to let that goal slip away. And so I just kept pushing. Um, and I, uh, I think at mile, uh, 60 or 65 or somewhere around there, um, uh, I, I started to feel a little bit like, I mean, like the blow up was coming, you know, I mean, I could feel that I was burning out and there's this one spot on the cruel drill race course that anyone who's run it knows what I'm talking about that you, it would be a perfect hundred mile, like out and back course. And then for really no reason, there's this drop three miles down, uh, into this valley to an aid station where you turn around and go back up and join the out and back. And it adds six miles to the course and a whole bunch of climbing. And, I got down to that aid station and I actually just sat down for a minute and I was, I was in the lead at this point. Um, I just didn't want to keep going, but I, I got out of there, uh, kept on moving. Um, I think around mile 70, 75, I started just kind of walking. I was still in the lead. I got to mile 80 and I was just, just toasted and I was done. Um, I, I laid down and, uh, despite being in the lead, just, uh, just took a nap. Um, and one of the aid stations were one of the aid station workers, uh, let me use their sleeping bag. That was kind of in a tent in the back. And, and I felt bad. Cause I mean, I'd been running 80 miles. I was pretty disgusting. I didn't want to get somebody else's sleeping bag, uh, uh too terribly dirty. But, uh, I, at this point I just wanted to lay down and, and I did, I, I lay down for an hour. Um, and I, I mean, I, I certainly felt like stopping, um, in that time, several people passed, of course. Um, um, but I, I, someone I were at the aid station kind of convinced me to get up and, and keep moving, at least just go to the next aid station. And so I did. Um, and I, uh, basically at that point at mile 80, um, you still have about a marathon trek across the Duncan Ridge trail to get back to the finish line. Um, and so I, uh, I, I just started hiking. I started jogging little bits of it here and there. Um, and it was the longest, uh, uh, ultra shuffle of my life, uh, getting across the Duncan Ridge trail to the finish line, but I got there, um, and I finished the race. And so, um, it was quite a few hours, uh, slower than what I had, uh, initially hoped for, uh, at this point, but, um, you know, it's the way it goes. That's right. That's right. No, we all have those experiences. And the reason I, I didn't mean to pick on the, uh, the negative races, I was literally before we started recording this, I was writing my newsletter and I was writing about that Duncan Ridge 50K that I just did. And where I was in a physical and mental state going up the backside of uh, Kusa. And, you know, it in comparison to what you were just saying, I was just... I felt defeated, you know, and, and I was in a very negative headspace and, you know, I had to collect myself somehow. And, uh, and, you know, I was like, you know, this, this, that course cruel jewel had defeated me. I, I cramped out. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't continue. Uh, you know, DR has taken me out, I think two or three times now. I, so I have more DNFs than I have finishes on that darn Duggan Ridge trail. So, 
um, I, like I knew the experience that you were going through. And uh, like I said, it was fresh in my mind. Um, but you know, that said, you know, we can then move on, you know, fast forward and, and talk about, we can talk about Hellbender. Um, you know, I really felt like you put together a heck of a race and it was obvious in that you, you beat the course record, you beat Carl Metzler's course record, which is, you know, that's, that's a, <laughs> uh, an accomplishment of itself. Um, so, um, you know, fast forward to your training for, uh, 2019, um, you know, hellbender, you know, let's, what, uh, what was going on? What, what did you do? Right. What did you feel was going on that, that made that such a, a great day for you? Sure. Um, well, I think what made that, uh, the run itself, uh, a good day was, was the training leading up to it. Um, I just had consistent training going into it. I had a, uh, 12 week training block, if I recall correctly, um, where I was above 80 miles a week, every single week, um, hitting 10, 15, 20,000 feet of climbing, um, per week. Um, and, and just consistent week after week for essentially three months leading into it. And, and I had a couple of bigger week peaks near the end. Um, and, and so going into it, I, I was just, my fitness was just there and, and, uh, I had a lot of, uh, a lot of vertical running as well, which obviously the hellbender course has its share of. So, um, I just, I, I felt physically prepared going into it. Uh, at the same time, it, the, the race itself was, um, well, for one thing, the course is, is spectacular. I, I really like the area. Um, it, you did such a great job and, and, and the entire team that was putting it on of, of creating a, a really great event. And that makes it a lot of fun. Um, and then at the same time, um, just seeing, um, uh, friends, uh, that I know through the local running community at aid stations, uh, running into them, kind of having, uh, people cheering you on the whole way and, and feeling like you're, um, representing the the local running community at the race just just made for the whole thing uh to feel very um i it was just it was special it was fun um and it just the the whole race just uh, uh came together uh and i think it was a combination of the training and all the other uh kind of uh, uh non-running things that that made it such a fun event <laughs> it was um exciting to say the least um, seeing, you know, um, Kenyon Woodard, um, you know, he, he led for up to 80 miles, I believe. Um, and you know, him, him being a local that, you know, I knew and then, um, Chris Brown, um, he was, uh, and I'm sorry, did I mess up? Chris is a Chris, um, what's Chris? It's Chris Roberts, actually. Chris Roberts. Sorry, Chris. Um, <laughs> I, Chris Roberts, um, totally goofed on that one. My, my fault, buddy. He'll, he'll never listen to my podcast anyway, but, <laughs> um, Chris was up there. Like Chris and I had raced, uh, through the B series in, in 2016 and, and grindstone and all of those. So, um, you know, I, it was, it was fun seeing all of you guys up there and I, you know, I got to see all of you come through, um, up to, um, the first Niels Creek aid station. And then, um, when I got to Mitchell, you guys had already been through, um, and then I had to get back to the finish line and, and kind of get things ready at back there. But I got to hear updates of you guys along the way. And it just sounded like super exciting. Like once you got to 80 and, and kind of took the lead, it was, it was you. But, uh, the other thing I found interesting, you had crew, but no pacer, right? There was no, you had no pacers on. Um, I did have a pacer for a little while. Um, my friend Courtney, uh, uh she lives in, uh, Wyoming. She was, uh, visiting and she, uh, Pace and I actually, uh, I I I didn't want to. 
take uh, any of my have my any of my local friends be be pacers. Um, and, and the reason being that there's such a community effort required for this race that I felt like I've I've done um, enough 100s at this point where I didn't need the 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 pacing support to finish the race. And so I really wanted to make sure that um, people were available to pace those who who did need it. Maybe it was their first time running or or just being available to volunteer. And I didn't want to kind of take away from the that volunteer pool um, to uh, to just run along with me. Um, but my uh, good friend, Courtney, she did, uh, she crewed for me throughout the day. Um, there's only like four or five spots where you can actually get crew access on the course, uh, just because it's so remote in a lot of places. Um, but I did take a strategy of, um, having her pace in the, um, middle section of the race. She started with me at, um, I was right around the halfway point. I can't remember what the aid station name was there, but was, I think it was a mile 48 or 50 somewhere in there. And, um, uh, my my thought was, I I always struggle uh, right in that kind of early part of the second half of a race uh, when you've run a really long ways. Um, in this case, you know you've run fifty miles, but you're looking at it like, oh geez, I've still got fifty more to go. Um, but if I can get to mile seventy seventy five, well, from there you know you can finish. It's just a matter of uh, just getting yourself, uh, just willing yourself to the finish line. But you're not going to give up at that point. Um, and so I had a little bit different strategy of uh, having her pace me in the middle part of the race. She was going to run from somewhere around like mile 50 to 70. Um, she ended up spraining her ankle pretty badly uh, about 10 or 12 miles into that. And, um, and, and so didn't continue on, but she did run with me for, uh, for a few hours there in the middle. That's cool. The other thing that I found interesting was in your training. Um, and I remember our conversation cause I said, do you want to go over and, and, and run some of the course? And you're like, no, I, I want to go in blind. You want to talk about that for a minute? Yeah. Well, and like I had alluded to earlier, I've always chosen races based on, um, a, a location that I want to run or a, a place that just is interesting to me. I mean, I, I'm not, really interested in running like a race that goes along a rails to trails kind of path or something that is, I, I mean, I might run that on a day to day basis, but not necessarily somewhere I want to make as a destination for the, for a race. And even though this was a local race, I, I had never run uh, a hundred mile race in, in kind of my backyard before, or in a, in a somewhere where I could sleep in my own bed and get up and, and, and go race. And I wanted to have it still feel like uh, a destination race for me. And, um, some people like to go out and see every section of the course and feel really prepared for it and, um, know every inch of that course. I just, I didn't want to, I want it to be a surprise. I wanted to, um, go around every corner wondering what was next and, and have that be my motivation, uh, kind of like an exploration, uh, uh approach to it, uh, which is, like I said, that's how I usually race anyway. And so I wanted to, to maintain that feeling going into this race, even though it was local for me. Which is awesome. Um, so, you know, being where we are, um, you know, that side of, of, um, Western North Carolina has just some climbs that we don't typically see here on the East coast. I mean, we're talking three miles and, you know, 3000 feet of gain. Um, how surprised were you by the course? 
not surprised by the course itself. While I while I hadn't physically seen it, I, I did study the course map and the elevation profile quite a bit going in so that I could uh, visualize at least on a map what was happening uh, throughout the race. I knew exactly what was coming uh, in terms of big climbs. Um, it, it, so that, that part itself wasn't necessarily a surprise, um, but I couldn't necessarily prepare for that exactly without running it because, um, um, well, it's not near where you and I live. Um, there's, uh, there's certainly some, some good climbing, but it's not those 3000, 4,000 foot, uh, climbs that you're going to get over in the black mountains. So I I felt like I was physically preparing for it just by, by doing a lot of vert in my runs, but, but nothing really to mimic, uh, uh, multiple hour <laughs> climb, uh, up the side of, uh, up the side of a mountain. Um, I just couldn't really prepare for it completely. Sure. But I mean, you know, I, I would, <laughs> I would say that, I mean, when you came in, I was, you know, flabbergasted with, you know, how fast you guys ran. Um, I mean, you guys got in, it was, um, I don't remember like one thirty in the morning or something like that. Do you remember what time it was somewhere around there? Uh, yeah, it was something like that. I think my final finishing time was somewhere around 21 and a half hours. I, I don't remember the exact time, but I think that put you uh, So yeah, it would have been, I think, yeah, one, one to two in the morning, somewhere in that range. Yeah. I, and, you know, as you said, you don't do this for, you know, the, the fame and glamour for winning or anything like that, because you come to a finish line, you've got me and a few others that are doing the old <laughs> at one thirty in the morning, but you know, a campfire going and some some Christmas lights. But uh, you know, it was um, it was definitely. I mean, you know, I was I was thrilled for you. Um, you know, having gone and and run, you know, I don't know how it got to me. It's how many hours we ran together through that, but uh, you know, in training. But it was it was great to kind of see that culmination for you, and I was so happy for you. Um, would you say that's your, thank you. I appreciate that. No, well, (laughs) would you say that's your best hundred or, um, do you think you had a better one? You know, it's hard to say. I I mean, I I think that's probably the race where everything came together, uh, the most, uh, I'd had a couple other hundred mile wins in the past, um, back in like 2015. Um, I, I, I was able to get the win at Pinhoti. Um, and that was in a crazy weather day. Uh, just, pouring rain uh for the day leading up to it and throughout the race and uh, so that one was very satisfying as well getting the win on 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 that course but but i think this was probably the one that um everything kind of came together the most i I was probably in the best uh uh, physical condition i'd ever been in leading into hellbender and and then throughout the race i actually just felt like i ran hard the whole way um i I never felt like i just kind of went into uh, alter shuffle mode, even though I, by the end, I certainly wasn't actually moving fast, but I felt like I was still pushing the effort, um, all the way to the finish line. And so uh, I, I, I don't think I'd ever been able to do that before. And so that really was, um, it, yeah, it, it probably hellbender 2019 really, th- that probably was the the best I've ever executed a, an actual race. Um, and just for those listening that are, you know, are eagerly anticipating news of Hellbender, um, I believe the Run Eight Two Eight Foundation is going to have more information for us come January here. So um, stay tuned for that. We should only be a few weeks away from finding out what's going to occur, uh, you know, going forward with Hellbender. So 
um, you know, I hope to be able to share that news with you as soon as, uh, as we find out. So um, Sam and I are both hoping to be a part of it in the future to whatever capacity we are allowed. But, um, and thank you, Sam, for, for offering to, to help out there as well. <laughs> of course, um, it, it's such a, a fantastic race, and and it's great to have a a, a real hundred mile event uh, as part of the local community. I, I I just think it's spectacular. It's a great thing for the trail running community, and um, I definitely want to do whatever I can to um, uh, to contribute to that event going forward. We certainly appreciate it, man. And I'm jealous that you have the buckle. That thing is so pretty. <laughs> <laughs> it is my favorite buckle. I'll tell you that. I, I've, uh, I think I have nine of them, and uh, that Hellbender one is my, uh, is by far my favorite. It, it's a, it's a good looking buckle. <laughs> oh man! So yeah, you have uh, how many 100 mile finishes? I think nine. Um, I'd have to go back and check. Yeah, because uh, 2020 Hellbender, uh, which I was uh, preparing for uh, early in the year, um, was going to be number 10 and um, uh, obviously didn't happen. But um, so, yeah, I think I've got uh, got nine right now. Right on. Cool. So that um, that brings us to, to this year's project. Uh, you good to, to start there? Move on to there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, absolutely. We haven't even even mentioned what Sam just did, uh, which was outstanding and incredible. And you know, um, to uh, to provide a little context, um, you know, um, I'll let Sam talk a little bit about uh, you know what what he was doing this fall and and what led to this uh, this new FKT that he just accomplished. So, do you want to start off and, and tell us you know um, how this formulated and um, how you this came about? Sure. Um, and, and I really think it does go back to the beginning of the year here. Um, I, I was training for a return to, to Hellbender. Um, I, um, I, 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 there was a little more star power uh, coming to Hellbender this year. It was definitely going to be a, uh, a challenging uh, title to defend, but, but I was going to go for it. It doesn't mean I think I could do it, but I was, I was going to give it everything I had. And I was, I was really uh, training for it. And leading into it, um, uh, you know, the, the race is scheduled for, I think, the first weekend in April. So if you look back of where the pandemic was in uh, early to mid-March, it was really just before the race itself uh, when um, uh, when things started to change because of the pandemic and when the race actually got canceled. And so I, I felt like I was in peak fitness at the time and really ready to go out and race. Um, having said that, during the process of training, um, I, I wasn't enjoying the, the training as much as I have at some times in the past. Um, the, the 5am weekend wake-ups to go run 25 miles up the mountains in the dark and by myself, like, and I certainly had, uh, uh, opportunities to, uh, you know, you ran miles with me and, and others did as well, but, uh, it, I just, I, I wasn't, enjoying it as much. And I was kind of considering this transition from, uh, competitive racing, um, to more of just doing, uh, long solo adventures or just long adventures with friends, doing more backpacking, uh, that type of thing. Um, uh, but I really, it, I was already kind of thinking this leading it before the, um, the cancellations due to the pandemic, um, but I really wanted to UTMB in Europe is one race that I've really wanted to run. Um, and I, 
I, I, in order to do that, you have to qualify for it. And, and so I was, I had this plan for 2020 to, um, run a bunch of races, uh, one specifically that get me qualifying points for UTMB and try to get an automatic entry for 2021 and have that kind of be my, uh, last race that I really trained for and, and went for as, uh, trying to be, uh, as competitive as possible. Not that I could be competitive at UTMB, but you know, doing what I can to, to, to push myself as much as possible. Um, but having said that, then when things started to, um, uh, when Hellbender got canceled and then it became clear that there was not going to be, uh, many other races this year, it was almost a, a bit of, uh, I, I felt like a bit of relief from it that I just, I didn't have to focus this time on training and I could just continue running for the joy of running, um, which is really kind of the way it should be anyway. Um, and so I, I felt a little bit of a, a weight off my shoulders and, um, I just kind of settled into regular runs. Um, uh, and then fast forwarding to the fall, um, I, uh, I think it was uh, early to mid October. Um, I backpacked the foothills trail, um, with my, uh, good friends, Sheridan and William. And, uh, we just did a three day, uh, backpack of the trail at 76 miles. Um, and, uh, it, it was kind of during that trip. Um, you know, it's completely different when you're just walking instead of running, but you're still getting these long days on your feet. And I think on the second day, you know, we we're about 10 hours into, uh, this hike and I just, the, the ultra bug kind of hit me again, really for the first time since early in the year where just that feeling of being out all day long in the mountains on the trail and, you know, you hit the sun is going down and you have a big climb coming up and you just put your head down and grind. And, uh, I, I just, I just really enjoyed that feeling. And it kind of put the idea in my head that, I was ready to go do something long again in terms of a, a, a run. Um, and so that was, I guess, mid October. And, um, I started thinking that I would like to, uh, run the, the, the foothills trail. Um, I didn't really have a date picked out when I would do it, how much I would train for it. I just kind of wanted to do it, not necessarily do it fast. Um, and, and so I had kind of just decided that I was going to do it at some point. Um, and then it wasn't really until, uh, a couple weeks ago, um, I just, I would say early December, I decided, Hey, I've got this, um, planned, uh, vacation from work coming up. Let's just take a day or two and, and, uh, go out and run it. And then I didn't actually pick the, the official official, the, the actual date that I ran until uh, about a week beforehand. Um, and so I was kind of just winging it in terms of the, the actual planning for, for doing it. But, but yes, that's, that's kind of what, um, what led up to me deciding to go out and run, uh, run the foothills trail. That's awesome. Um, it's, I mean, it's really cool that you've got that, that bug again to, to do something like this. Um, yeah, like I was, I was actually on Strava the other day and, and you know how we always title our runs and, and try to come up with something clever. And, you know, one of mine was I, I did a double and the first one I had mentioned, you know, the great thing about doubling is that you get to have another run that day. So you have something to look forward to. Your run's not quite over, but then you can finish your second one and then you're like, Oh, I'm done for the day. But it made me kind of long for going through the night, you know, like that, just what you're talking about, you know, going out and finding that adventure. And 
And, you know, I, I didn't put it on there because I was like, yeah, this, this is kind of cheesy, but <laughs> I'm glad that you uh, kind of <laughs> feeling is what I felt. So I didn't put it on my star of the title, but, um, you know, it's I, I know exactly what you mean. And uh, yes, I feel that. Um, so, you know, you, you got a great kind of um, uh, recon, if you will, um, of the trail by hiking it. Um, and, you know, uh, like you said, you didn't really have a plan and, and things were kind of up in the air. You know, you, you get kind of asked Sheridan and I if if we would be, you know, up for, you know, crewing, pacing, whatever. And, you know, both of us were, were you know, of course, if we were available, we were, you know, on board. Um, and then, you know, things changed again. Do you want to kind of describe how the you know, things came together and, and the way you chose to do things? Sure. Um, it, it, there wasn't really a whole lot of forethought to it, to be honest. Um, I, I was just, um, I, I, I just wanted to run the the route. Uh, so I, we back packed it in one direction. I was going to run it in the opposite direction just to see it a little bit differently. Um, and, uh, even I think as much as a, even just like a week beforehand, I was still, uh, we were still trying to figure out how to, um, plan logistics for, um, shuttling cars from one end to the other and getting uh, somebody a pacer in and out. Um, it, it just logistically, it, it's a not an easy place to access. Um, and it kind of just became a little more complex. And I didn't really want to ask you guys to try and figure out your own shuttling from one place on the trail to 20 miles later on the trail. And, um, and, and I know you would have done it, but, but at the same time, it, it was just, it kind of became more complex than I really wanted to be. And at the same time, um, I, the same thing with racing sometimes when I have a crew or I have people expecting me at a certain place, if I'm not on time or if I'm ahead of time, I, I start to worry about, are, are they worrying about me or are they bored or what if they get a flat tire out here and they're stuck out here and, and rather than worrying on, worrying about what others were doing, it, it just kind of seemed easier to go by myself. And so I, I decided, um, like I said, it was really only a week beforehand to, to run unsupported. Um, and I had never really done an unsupported run of this length before. I've certainly done backpacking, but that's different when you've got, you know, your, your shelter and food and camp on your back. Um, well, and it's different when you're just going running. Yeah, well, and I was just going to say, can you can you just define that? I'm sure people are starting to get used to the terminology of supported versus unsupported, but would you just define like you know what that meant, um, you know, so far as your run went? Yeah, um, and, and I'm not somebody who's uh, really big into the um, uh, fastest known time or FKT scene, um, but at the same time, um, th there's kind of two general categories: unsupported and supported. Um, uh, supported is more of what you typically think of as where you might have people run with you, meet you along the way. You'll have crew, you can have pacers, um, uh, you can receive aid. Uh, it, it's really, you're set up more like you were running a race where you just kind of run from, uh, one segment at a time and, and can get resupply or, or, uh, people run with you, whatever you want, um, uh, throughout the, throughout the route going unsupported, um, it is uh, basically the opposite. Um, uh, you're on your own from start to finish. And I think you're the, you're not supposed to have physical aid or emotional aid. Uh, so that means even if you were technically running solo, but you had people run with you, that's still not really considered uh, unsupported. Um, 
I, there's different categories and I don't know, there's official rules, but in my view, at least that's not really uh, an unsupported run if you've got people running with you. So uh, yeah, really the intent was um, uh, get dropped off at uh, one end of the trail and um, have a car waiting at the other end of the trail and um, no support, um, no self support either in terms of drop, like uh, putting drop bags or water supply or anything in, in the middle. It's just a, Start with what you need on your back, uh, knowing that that's got to get you to um, get you to the finish line. That's awesome. And just for those that uh, may not know the Foothills Trail, can you just describe it where it is? You know, where is the start terminus? All that stuff. You know, elevation gain. Just give them a little bit more. Um, you know, uh, background on the the route. Yeah. Um, it. It is a, uh, I think it's 76.2 miles with uh, 17,000 feet roughly of elevation gain. It actually depends on which direction you go. Um, there's one side is a thousand feet higher than the other. Um, but it, it runs from uh, uh, along the North Carolina, South Carolina border. It starts at uh, Oconee State Park. And the other end is at Table Rock State Park, both in South Carolina. Uh, but in between it, um, goes up into the uh, North Carolina side uh, through Gorges State Park. Um, and it's a really, really pretty trail. Um, I, I think it dates back to the 60s and 70s. The, the U.S. Forest Service was building it um, in conjunction with uh, actually Duke Power uh, built and maintains or, or at least did maintain a large portion of it. Um, and uh, But yeah, it, it crosses over all of these really remote, rugged, uh, fairly large rivers. Um, and, and it goes up and over, uh, mountains in between them. Um, but there's, uh, these cool suspension bridges going over these rivers. Um, it's, uh, it's a very well-maintained trail, uh, despite the fact that it's, it's really pretty remote. Um, and it also does hit, uh, Sassafras mountain, which is the highest point in South Carolina. Um, and then, uh, uh, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's about it. <laughs> um, now the, you know, this being, um, unsupported, um, what was your, your plan for, um, for, you know, carrying food for, um, filtering water? What did you do in that regard? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, so I think, uh, taking a step back as well in, in terms of running an unsupported, I, I had to take a, uh, more conservative approach to it. I didn't want to be taking any risks. Um, and like I said, it was my first time really running something this long solo. And so that meant everything from uh, food to carrying probably a little extra than what I thought I would need, bringing a little extra warm clothes. Um, same thing even with the actual running of, you know, not being too aggressive on uh, downhills, not, um, you know, tiptoeing across anything that's kind of sketchy. Uh, bringing extra emergency supplies, things along those lines that um, maybe if you're running with somebody else or if you know you have aid in a few miles, you might be willing to take a few more risks trying to shave some time or weight uh, from your pack. Um, but knowing that I was on my own, um, I, I tried to avoid those risks as much as, as possible. Um, and, and so that was kind of my general approach to the whole run, really. Um, in terms of food and water, um, I mean, I, I, the food I brought was, it's the same way I race and it's really, uh, it, it's, I don't necessarily recommend this. It's not really healthy, but I go completely on like cliff blocks and, and, uh, Huma gels. Um, so I, I had packed, um, 
uh, I think 18 cliff blocks and 18 Huma gels. And, uh, I went through, uh, not quite all of them, but, uh, but most of them. And, um, that was my entire food supply. Um, in terms of water, uh, yeah, there's so much water on this trail. I mean, you never go more than a few miles without seeing natural water sources. So, um, I have this little, uh, 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 catadine water filter, uh, the be free, um, that a lot of runners and hikers use, um, uh, that I just filtered water whenever I needed. I had two, uh, 500 milliliter water bottles that I was filling up. And basically whenever I started, you know, getting low on water, I would just stop to, to refuel. That's awesome. Um, it, it, you, you know, you talked about how low key it was. Um, you know, we had, we had gone for a run, um, you know, prior to, you, um, Prior to this, you know, the, actually the weekend before you did, uh, you know, a few miles with me um, the Sunday before. And um, you're just saying, you know, I'm just going to go out there for a run. You know, I mean, you knew what the FKT was for the unsupported. Um, but, you know, you said if if that goes down, that's great. If not, you know, it's not my intent. Um, but did you, um, you know, s- some people make their intentions known on the FKT site. Did you do any of that? Uh, no. Cause like I said, it really wasn't my intent. I mean, I, I, I thought that the, um, FKT was within reach. I mean, I had mentioned something, I think on like my Instagram or Strava or something like that, that, you know, I, I, I was doing it. Um, and then I thought it, it could be possible, but it, but it really wasn't a goal. I, I didn't feel like I was, I felt the need to announce an intention to go after, uh, some FKT. It, I was really just treating this as a, uh, long solo fun run. And if I happened to come in faster than the previous, uh, uh, unsupported FKT, so be it. But, um, I, it really didn't matter that much to me, to be honest. <laughs> That's great. Um, so, you know, you get out there, you got your logistics sorted and you're out there running. How is, how is it going? It was, you know, start to finish, you know, run us through it. Sure. Um, you know, the, the routes, uh, I started on the Oconee side, um, which is the more runnable side. Um, and then it finishes with, uh, I would say the, the, the bigger climbs at, at the end, if you go in this, this direction. And I chose to do it that way just because, um, I figured on, on the, the steep parts, regardless if it's early or late, I'm going to be hiking. Uh, they're not really runnable climbs. Um, and so uh, I, I figured if I'm going to hike anyway, let's do it at the end. And then uh, the actual runnable portions, let's run at the beginning where I still have uh, the uh, have it in my legs to, to run. So I, I started off um, with the, the, the side that's more runnable. Um, and from uh, that, I, I guess I, I started fairly conservatively. I mean, I, I, like, I wasn't pushing the pace. I was just running. Um, and you, you go through this cool section along the Chatuga river. Um, and I think that takes you through about mile 16. There's not a ton of elevation gain in that first section. Um, there is one fairly decent sized climb. Um, but, uh, I, I was just kind of running along the river, um, and, and just enjoying the scenery. I saw a couple of other hikers, but, but not too many. Um, and then I, I guess, um, I started, uh, I, I never really pushed it. I just, I just kept on kind of running, uh, <laughs> just like I was out for a weekend run, enjoying it. Um, I started kind of doing some of the math of not because I was looking for the FKT, but just trying to figure out times. And I don't know, it's just a way to pass time when you're running, I guess, and figuring out when I'd get to the halfway point, um, and kind of counting towards that. 
um, and watching the mileage tick away. There's uh, some cool river crossings, um, but but again, that first half is a little less eventful, I would say, than the last half. Uh, um, and so I, I got to the halfway point at, I think it was around seven hours and 40 minutes or something like that. Um, and there's actually a sign, uh, right on the trail that says, you know, 38.1 miles to Table Rock and 38.1 miles to Oconee. So it's kind of a cool little halfway point, uh, sign. Um, and so I got to that point and I was thinking it was, uh, getting close to being dark. Um, I didn't get started until about eight 30 in the morning, uh, just because of the logistics of when the parks open and shuttling cars back and forth. So I didn't really have that much daylight time going into it. So here I was only a little uh, about at the halfway point and the, the sun was starting to go down. I knew there was a river crossing coming up in um, in about a mile. And I thought that that would be a good place to kind of gear up for the night. And right as I was, uh, there's this long set of stairs leading down to this river. I think it's called horse pasture river. Um, and there's a lot of stairs on this trail, by the way, wood stairs that are, are steep and slippery. And it was, um, it was below freezing temps at this point. And so there, a lot of them are kind of covered in ice and I was taking it really slow. I mean, holding onto the railing with one hand, uh, trekking poles in the other hand, walking down the stairway. And I got about three steps from the bottom and I, um, I just slipped and I, I hit the railing hard and then fell right onto the stairs and, uh, kind of got the wind knocked out of me a bit. I stood up and, and I realized I'm like, okay, nothing is seriously hurt here. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Um, I've got a pretty giant bruise right now to show for it. But, uh, uh, that was really my only, my only fall of the day. Um, but, but I took that opportunity to regroup. I, put on, um, night gear, got out the headlamp, um, refueled or, or took food from basically the back of my pack and put it into the accessible portions of the pack up front. And, um, and, and I really, I spent about 15 or 20 minutes just sitting there at the river, uh, getting kind of geared up and, and ready to go for the, the second half of the run, uh, through the night. Um, and then from there, um, just, uh, just kind of chugged along the, the, the climbs start getting bigger from there. Um, there's more big river crossings. Um, there's one little section, I think it's between, um, Oh, it's from this area called the cane break, which is this, uh, right by the Toxaway river crossing. Um, going over, you go up and over this. It's not that far. It, it it's this short little climb, but it is just like straight up in these little wood stairs. And I think at this point I'm like 45 miles in and it is, man, it is a tough climb. And that was really the first time all day that I started to feel like I've, uh, like I started to feel the miles at that point. Um, <laughs> and you know, um, but from there, uh, you go back down obviously, and that gets easier. Um, and it just kind of kept cruising along. Um, I uh, had to stop and do some uh, gear adjustments a couple of times, but um, around uh, mile 60 or so, you kind of start heading up towards uh, Mount Sassafras, which is the highest point on the course, um, and just chugged along. Um, I felt like I was moving decent, but uh, never never really pushed the effort. Uh, just just kept moving along. Um, and once you get over Sassafras, there's, there was a little... Uh, you drop down, uh, into a valley and then there's one last climb up to, uh, 
oh, I don't know what the actual name of the mountain is, but it's, it's where Table Rock is. I, I don't know if it's called Table Rock or not, but, but there's this great viewpoint during the daytime. Um, but there's a one last climb up there. Um, and uh, as I'm really, it wasn't until this point that I started looking at my actual time on the watch and started thinking to myself that, all right, this is, uh, um, I, I have a chance to lower the unsupported FKT by, by quite a bit. And so I tried to hustle down from there uh, to get to the finish. Um, and, uh, that was a, a tough four or five miles, uh, at the end. Um, the, the terrain is tough at the same time. I think like any race or any run, um, no matter the distance, once you have that finish line kind of in sight, it, your body's ready to be done. Um, I think if I knew I was going another 20 miles, I would have been fine. But since I, my car was at the bottom of this hill, it was like, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to curl up and be done. So, um, yeah, I just, I, I just kind of pushed it into the finish line there. And, um, the funny thing about it is, is that there's the, the parking lot is actually, there's a gate that closes. So when you finish, you can't just get in your car and leave. Um, I, so I knew I had to, I had my car set up in the parking lot with a sleeping bag in the back. And it was really, I mean, I'm the only one there. It's uneventful. I just stopped my watch, walked over to the car and, uh, uh, curled up in my sleeping bag and, and went to sleep. Nice. Um, that's amazing. So, you know, you finished here, you, you know, you said you had a really good potential of breaking the FKT. What was the end result? Uh, so my final time was, uh, 17 hours and 27 minutes. Um, the, the previous unsupported FKT was I think 21 and a half, somewhere around there. So yes, you, you broke it quite handedly. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Thank you. I, I mean, yeah, it was the, the, the uh, the supported FKT though is, is, is fast. I mean, I was nowhere near that. Uh, the, this, I, I don't, I don't feel like I necessarily ran the route fast. I think there was quite a bit of, uh, room to bring this one down. Um, I think, uh, um, Mark Lundblad, uh, local legend has the, uh, has the, the supported FKT and it's something like 1450 or, or something like that. That's just crazy fast. I mean, I was hours behind that. Um, uh, and I still think with how I ran this with the conservative approach that I took throughout that I, there's plenty of room to bring this down. I feel like I could bring it down if I just even trained a little more going into it. I, I didn't feel like I had a huge training base. Um, if somebody wanted to, you know, was had a, uh, some decent mileage uh, on their legs and then actually wanted to take a little more aggressive approach to it, there's plenty of room to bring this uh, unsupported FKT further down. Right on. You know, um, you talked about some of the the water crossings. Just so folks know, were there many ones that did not have bridges, or did most of them have bridges? Uh, no. So there are uh, wooden bridges uh, across even just the smallest of creek crossings throughout this entire route. It's very well maintained. Um, I think it's the Foothills Trail Conservancy is the one who uh, officially maintains the trail, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but it, there's probably, I'm just guessing maybe a hundred actual little wooden footbridges throughout the, um, throughout the trail where you cross over small little creeks and streams. And then on the big rivers, there's, uh, fairly large bridges. Um, it, you don't have to, I mean, the, the course itself was wet from a lot of rain that had fallen, but I mean, you don't have to get your feet wet in terms of actually going through streams, wading through streams. Um, it's, uh, very easy to, to avoid that here. Awesome. 
Um, something else that we had touched on prior to you going for the run was your concern with some of the turns, especially early on in the course or when it was dark. Um, you know, you had, um, I believe, used uh, Gaia. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so I had uh, downloaded the GPX file, um, I think from the FKT website, and then uh, uploaded it to uh, Gaia on my phone. And that way I'd have a, a map throughout at any given time. Um, where I could check to see if I was on, uh, if I was on course, uh, there are uh, quite a few places where it kind of, there's, there's just forks in the trail, uh, as you'd expect. There's also a few places, uh, I think going through the gorges state park section where it weaves in and out of a, a forest service road where it's easy to miss a turn. Um, I actually didn't find that it was difficult to follow this time around. Um, I, I did check Gaia, I would say four or five times throughout, um, to make sure that I was on track when I just hadn't seen a blaze in a while or something like that. Um, I also had, uh, with me as a, both as a tracking device, as well as an emergency backup, uh, a Garmin inReach. Um, that way people could track where I was. Um, but in addition to the tracking and emergency capabilities, I did upload the route on that as well. So I had an even another backup in case, uh, I knew it was going to be cold and phones freeze. And I uh, just wanted to make sure I had, um, plenty of, uh, well, I wanted to have backups for my backups more or less. Nice. Nice. Um, and so, um, did you have to, um, do any other type of, um, research prior to the FKT, you know, having done the, the recon hike, um, was there anything else that, you know, you could perhaps provide as like a resource to, to folks, um, whether it be like a good, um, book on the, the route or, you know, um, maybe a, a, a good map or something. Was there anything else you might recommend? Uh, I, I probably should have done more research beforehand. Um, <laughs> I I really didn't. Um, so one thing I did, um, I had mentioned I had backpacked the the course previously. So I, I did know it, generally speaking, I had seen the whole thing. But um, both of the people I had backpacked it with were very familiar with the route as well. Um, uh, my friend Sheridan, um, he is, uh, he knows the route well. He has backpacked it many times. And so I was uh, just asking him for advice and tips and, um, uh, you know, questions about um, uh, turns, things along those lines. And then uh, likewise, uh, William, uh, who was also a part of our three person backpacking crew in October, um, he actually, previously held the unsupported FKT on the route. Um, I, somebody else had lowered it between uh, him and I, um, not by a whole lot, but uh, so he had known the route as well. And so I was more or less um, relying on friends as resources, as opposed to actually doing my own research, which was a very lazy approach to it, but, uh, but it worked. Um, research I, is research. Like I said, yeah. I mean, it kind of, uh, like I said, I, I never really took this thing too seriously. I, this was just a long run for me. Um, I, I think there are better resources out there. Um, I, I think there is a website dedicated to the Foothills Trail and, and specifically to trail running um, uh, on the Foothills Trail. Um, you could probably get maps from the Foothills Trail Conservancy. Um, I, there's information on the FKT website. Um, I just kind of winged it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> 
I appreciate your honesty. Um, there is a book, um, which I will uh, you know, put in the uh, the show notes. Um, I do have that resource, and I will look up to see if there is a, a website that I can put into the show notes as well, uh, just for those that might find interest in this trail. Um, for those of you that know Natalie Daniels, um, she also had recently done this and set a, a women's record. Um, for the Foothills Trail. She is an incredible individual as well, who's also um, completed Hellbender multiple times now. Um, but um, the Foothills Trail, um, you know, it, it's uh, one of the, I guess, one of the Souths now, um, you know, kind of um, one that people are seeking to do, um, others being the uh, the SCAR. Um, any interest in the SCAR for you? Um, it, yeah, um, I... I... I don't know much about it. I've heard about it. Um, again, my friend William, I was talking about earlier. He's uh, he's done Scar, and um, uh, it, he's talked about it. it. It's it's certainly on my radar. Um, there's a lot of th- there's several I think uh, routes throughout the the Blue Ridge Mountains here that are in that um, uh, ultra distance range, maybe more than fifty, less than a hundred miles. Uh, that I'm definitely interested in doing at some point. Um, uh, I, I don't know that much about the scar route though. It sounds right up your alley. Then you don't need much research. You just say, ah, I'm just going to go do this little route tomorrow. Um, <laughs> that's right. Just, just pack a big pack and, and start running and uh, hope you don't get lost. That's kind of how, uh, that's kind of how I do it. <laughs> the, um, for those that don't know, the um, scar is uh, basically the uh, section of the Appalachian trail that goes um, from uh, the one border of the Smoky Mountain National Park to the other. Um, it's uh, a great route. Um, Canyon Woodard, uh, who we talked about earlier, um, he uh, he did it recently and a, a blazing fast time. Missed the FKT, but uh, still ran an incredible time. So, um, but you know, not to say that every run has to be an FKT. We're just trying to give people ideas of things they can do and challenges they can accept, uh, you know, in this crazy time where we may not have the races that we want to run. So, um, but um, Sam, it, uh, amazing, amazing. It's, it's a great, you know, getting to, to share your story. Um, I've really enjoyed our conversation as I always do. Um, and, uh, congratulations on the FKT. Um, if people want to reach out to you, is there any which way you would say to do so, or should they just leave you alone? <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm on Strava. You can find me just by looking up my name. Uh, I use Instagram sporadically, but, uh, yeah, um, Strava is probably the best way. Okay. Uh, and it's just Sam Reed, R E E D, correct? Yep. That's right. All right. Awesome, man. Um, anything else you want to add before we get, do we, uh, do we miss anything? No, I don't think so. Um, uh, definitely. Uh, thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on the show. This has been fun. I appreciate you putting up with me. Thanks buddy. <laughs> of course. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, I want to first thank Sam for, for coming on and uh, sharing that uh, that adventure and uh, congratulate him once again on his FKT. Awesome job, Sam. Way to go and congratulations. Um, it was fun, fun uh, seeing that come to fruition and uh, seeing you succeed. So awesome job, my friend. Uh, next up, as I said in the intro, uh, will be Kyle Curtin and uh, our talk on his uh, Pitchell 
FKT. Um, I'd be remiss to say Kyle also broke the um, unsupported FKT of the Tahoe Rim Trail. So we talked just a little bit on that, but the focus is on the uh, the Pitchell FKT. So, um, Kyle, I really appreciate you coming on as well. And uh, without further ado, here's Mr. Kyle Kurt. Well, I am now joined by Mr. Kyle Curtin. How are you, Kyle? Doing well. <laughs> we just have to enjoy a, a run here in Mills River. Um, it's great to, to share those miles with you. I appreciate you coming out. Yeah, it's a great little treat, <laughs> especially after the snow we've had. It was, uh, it was such a surprise um, to, uh, to see you go after the, uh, the pitchel attempt, so I can't wait to talk about that, but... Um, you're you're in town right now. Um, what brings you to town? Uh, my parents live in Asheville. Um, they moved here in 2015 after uh, hiking the Appalachian Trail with my dad. Really liked the area, and uh, so I'm back here just visiting them for Christmas. That's fantastic. And, and where are you living otherwise? In Durango, uh, in Colorado. Right on. That's is. Uh, we we're talking about how many how many friends we we've, we've crossed over <laughs> over time which is is pretty incredible that you and I have never actually met with <laughs> with how many people we do know in common but um take us back cuz it was interesting to hear um and some people may have heard Kyle on uh uh Ryan Pluckelman's first podcast that he was doing um Kyle has uh, shared a few stories with uh with Ryan but um your running started when I got into long distance running like a lot of people after reading the book Born to Run, and that was about 2010 when I read the book. And so my first trail race was a uh, 100 miler in 2012 called the Ozarks 100 in Missouri. Um, so that's really where I got started, and had a great first 40 miles of that race or so before just death marching it in, and uh, <laughs> I was hooked after that. That's fantastic. But then you went on to run Ozarks, did you say three or four more times? Uh, two more times two for times. a total of three, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I ran it three years in a row and uh, just improved every year and um, ended up winning it the third year I ran it. So It's a great was, learning curve. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, and um, when we were running, I, I asked Kyle how many hundreds he's done, and he, he couldn't really give me an answer, but it, it's upwards of past 10 if, if uh if memory serves him correctly, is that right? Yeah, I wouldn't trust my memory, but somewhere around <laughs> 10, yeah. Ultra sign-up is a better reference than me. <laughs> That's awesome. He's done some really cool um, races in 100-milers, um, one of which was also UTMB. Um, and you want to talk about UTMB for a second? Sure, yeah. It was a, a great race. I ran it in 2018. Um, definitely worth the hype. And uh, um, it's a really steep and definitely long race, <laughs> I think. I think more of 110 miles than actually 100. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but yeah, it went really well, and I'm pretty good at climbing, so that race suited my strengths pretty well, and ended up being a second American dude that year. That's fantastic. What were you overall? Like 43rd, I think. Oh, that's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And, and you ran, uh, did you say just over 24? Over 26. Just yeah, over 26 hours. So, Finished just before sunset on that second day. That's so cool. What, what was that like for you coming into the finish? Were there a huge crowd? Oh yeah, I mean the whole course. There's 
crowds everywhere and especially the last couple miles there's everyone in chamonix out on the sides and i saw the group of friends i went there with and they had a a beer for me about a quarter mile from the finish so i was uh drinking a beer on the way crossing the finish line and just really happy to be done and and happy with the performance out there so So you finished before dark you said yeah that's fantastic yeah we we were coming in uh just at dawn and uh it was quiet time (laughs) so we didn't have much of a celebration at the finish but um it's still a phenomenal phenomenal race um you know obviously some great memories for you and and for me um and uh what you're saying that maybe you would do uh ure this year is that that was a, a thought yeah yeah that's uh that's the one i keep looking at right now um i'm fifth on the wait list for western states so i'm probably going to do that one and ura is just uh like six weeks after but yeah super steep race something like forty four thousand feet again in that race so Man. that would be a little bit different yeah. and, uh, but definitely it's something that intimidates me and kind of excites me so that's always what i'm looking for in a race that's fantastic well, that's awesome um and <clears throat> western and ure obviously like you just said are, are completely different um, but I guess it's just a waiting game at this point, like most of us, what's going to happen. Yeah, who knows? I learned my mistake trying to make plans in 2020. So, <laughs> And have you been out to Western? I've been on the course, but not there for the race, no. Okay, right on. Um, and, I mean, it's it's definitely, uh, you know, has its up and down. Uh, but, uh, you know, being able to, to move, you know, that fast how do you how do you feel about that would you rather be at ure or you think you still rather do western states just because of the lore of western i wish i would have done western a couple of years ago when i was more into the running versus the hiking <laughs> um but uh I, I don't know you know they're definitely different challenges yeah right oh it's i mean just the the legend of western states is hard not to want to run right. that race and be around that race which yeah is super cool um and uh i mean to be that close on the wait list that's amazing i mean um your chances are pretty pretty good at well you know that said everybody probably wants to run this year if they can yeah I, i'm banking on getting in nice. that's cool that's very cool um so um we uh we talked a little bit about um how you've begun and and what you've done um what do you, would you say that the 100 is your favorite distance because you've also done a 200 uh, definitely in that range. Yeah. I, I really like the longer stuff. That's really challenging in the, in that aspect. Um, it's definitely different once you get into nighttime and going through multiple days, but yeah, the, the longer stuff, hundred mile plus is, is definitely what I prefer. <laughs> well, we were talking a little bit on our run about the 200. Um, was that the, that's the only 200 you've done? Not that that's not enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the only one I've done. Right on. Uh-huh. Um, and to clarify, you did the Tahoe 200. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So um, uh, it's most memorable because that was the year that you went up against Courtney, uh, Courtney DeWalter, uh, which <laughs> you were in the video. You said yourself that you were portrayed as the villain. And um, I didn't see it that way. I mean, you know, we were, uh, like I said, on the run, I was, I was cheering for you because I wanted to you know, see you do well. Um, but, um, what was that like? Um, uh, you know, I mentioned to hear your side of things. I mean, you know, you've, you've definitely, you're in the lead and, you know, being chased. How, how did that feel? What, what was that like, especially for 200 miles? I can't imagine. Um, quite, quite the opposite. I was not in the lead for most of the race. Um, I started out, I usually like to get in that like chase pack and, and just kind of hang out and, and let somebody else take the lead for a while. And so I was kind of running with other people for the first 
30 miles or so. And, and then things really started to spread out. And um, I, I didn't see many people. I ended up passing the guy who was in second place. Courtney went way out in front. And I ended up passing the guy in second place around mile 55 or so. And that was getting into the sunset of the first night. Um, and so I was in second place for mile 50 until... I didn't pass Courtney until mile 181. Ooh. So I was chasing her for, you know, somewhere around like 120 miles oh my gosh. or so. Um, and so that was a whole lot of the focus of the race was just like, all right, how far back am I now? And like, what do I got to do to, to go on? It? Um, I had a really great crew and, and pacers. I mean, they ran something like 160 miles with me that That's race. Uh, yeah, oh they all had big days. Yeah. Um, but cool. just a really cool experience. And, um, I'm going to ask you a few questions on the 200 miler because sure. uh, you know that's my focus coming up is uh, Cocodona. But um, so you know we've all had that moment where we've gone past our furthest we've ever been. Uh, what was that like? You know, having done 100, but knowing that now you had to do that again. Where where was your mental state when you <laughs> when you went past that barrier? I was, I guess, mentally pretty prepared for it and not thinking you know, you're not at the finish line halfway through. Um, I kind of had a, a reset at mile hundred where I like changed all my clothes and, and took some more caffeine and was like ready to go. Okay. Round two of doing this. Right on. Um, were you but, able to kind of stay in the moment? Yeah, very much so. Yeah. And a lot of it was new. I had never been to California before, or at least that part of it. Um, so it's a lot of just enjoying being out on the trails and Tahoe is a beautiful area. So it's, sure. it's really easy to enjoy being out there. <laughs> um, and it's way easier to chase than to be chased. So yes. a lot of that, like right. getting amped up, knowing that you're getting a little bit closer and, uh, right. just getting the milestones as they come, you know, it's just how far to the next aid station, how far is this climb and that kind of stuff, just staying there. And, uh, they also had tracking during this race. So, and I had cell phone service a lot of the time too, so I was able to like actually actively track to see where she was and how far back I was, wow. and and uh, that was pretty motivating and, and really kept me focused. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah, I like that. Um, and how was I mean fatigue? You know, did did the physical fatigue set in? You know, uh, at at you know, you know, I imagine at some point, <laughs> or and then there had to be you know lows and. So where did you start feeling, you know, my gosh, am I going to be able to do this or did that ever come? The first night felt really easy. Um, I, I really was not pushing hard in the first hundred miles or so. And she actually put like a two and a half hour gap on me about a hundred miles in. Mm. Um, I was just not pushing super hard knowing there's still a hundred plus miles to go. Um, but yeah, the second night is really where I noticed the fatigue coming in. I didn't sleep at all during this race. Oh my gosh. Um, and <laughs> like no, no 30 second breaks and nothing like that. Wow. Um, and that second night I was like hallucinating and, and really just seeing all kinds of weird stuff. Oh my gosh. Um, and, uh, I felt really pretty good until I caught her at mile. Like, like I said, 181, I think. Mm-hmm. And then it just felt like, I hit a wall that like accomplishing that goal of catching her yeah. and still having a marathon to go or so right. is, is really tough to push and knowing that she was still going to be chasing me and she yeah. was still going to be pushing. So right. the roles reversed and, uh, it became very difficult in that last marathon or so. Yeah. yeah I mean the, the mental switch kind of changes. That's gotta be a, a tough adaptation that late in the race and how tired you were. Yeah. It, it very, it became, I was running scared versus like yeah. being the chaser. Right. Right. Oh my God. <laughs> 
Um, you also have a, an army background too. Um, did they do any type of training like that? Like with sleep deprivation? Did you guys go through that in like boot camp or any of that? Uh, yeah, definitely at times. I, I don't know how relevant that is for, well, for hundred yeah, mile training. I'm just wondering if you've ever been in that type of state before. Not to that not point. To, not to no, nothing. Yeah. I, I've never <laughs> been that bad before. I, I remember hallucinating on my first hundred miler going through the night. Mm-hmm. And then I don't think I've had those kind of things happen until Tahoe 200. Then, right. I mean, everything was moving except for that pinpoint on the trail I was looking at. There's like tunnel vision and then yeah. the grasses were moving, the trees were pulsing and yeah. seeing faces on rocks and that right. kind of thing. Were you still able to concentrate on like, I, you know, I need a gel right now or I need some food right now? Or... That's really where the crew came in yeah, and the... Pacers like asking me the last time I ate and, and that kind of thing. Um, good. It definitely becomes difficult to eat, but uh, yeah. I had some really good crew. Good. Good. How much? How much caffeine did you have to have at that point? Uh, grams. Uh, yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> Just popping espresso beans. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's amazing. Uh, and, and like you know, so now you're you're in the 180s. Um, how are the legs doing? I mean, you know, Tahoe's definitely. It's, you know, you've you've got elevation and you've got elevation change. Like, you know, wh- how are you feeling? It was a lot of walking, especially at that point in the race. This is one of the weird years where they ran it backwards from what they usually do. Mm. So somewhere around that mile 180 mark, you're on the Jeep Rubicon Trail, which okay. is like where they take these you know big Jeeps over these little drops. And so there are all kinds of like two or three foot drop downs that were just terrible on the legs. And mm. then this real fine <laughs> powdery rock that really got into the toes. I mean, those last... 20 miles are pretty memorable for being yeah. difficult. Yeah. Um, and I was able to run just a couple steps just cause I was scared of getting caught again, but <laughs> it was a lot of hiking on the way in. Yeah. Um, I remember they also had another shorter race going on that day that finished that, uh, I finished the race in 49 hours and change. And they had another race that was finishing right around the same time. So there were all these super fast, fresh people flying <laughs> by me. And I couldn't really tell. They had bibs on. So right. you'd see somebody coming behind you and like, oh, is this her? Is, yeah. this, is this where she's going to get me? <laughs> um, but yeah, I was able to run. And it finishes on a ski hill. So it's like a 2,000 foot descent. It was just. Wow. Uh, Oh my gosh. There's a, a special place in hell for races to end with, <laughs> with those huge descents like that. Oh my God. I can't imagine. How was, uh, how are your feet? Did your feet hold up? Uh, yeah, I, was, I, I did pretty good. I, I, I can't remember being too messed up. No blisters um, or not I'm like... sure there were blisters. I, I can't remember anything too bad. <laughs> okay. Um, I remember just after crossing the finish line, just everything cramping up and just not oh, being able to walk. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, I had two of my, my crew people like on either side of me walking <laughs> from like the finish line back to the car where I took a nap after the finish. And I remember being pretty funny the one guy's about my height. And then the other guy's about a foot taller than me. So he was like <laughs> hunched over holding me up. Oh my gosh. <laughs> did you, um, did you have to do anything to help manage the feet with all the dusts and stuff like that? Did you do anything particular? Um, not really. I started out with a pair of, uh, road shoes that had some like bigger, had some mesh uppers that, the fine dust was getting in. So I had to switch shoes to something I wasn't planning on using, but no, it worked fine. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, everybody had to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. Did you wear gaiters or anything like that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Um, what type of socks do you usually wear? Um, I switch between, I really like darn tough socks. Mm -hmm. I really got hooked on those while hiking the Appalachian trail. I think they're pretty solid. And then some in toe socks. Okay. Usually switching between those two. 
don't have a whole lot of issues. Nice. Good. Yeah. Darn Tough's a great little Vermont brand. Um, the nice wool. So very good. I'm looking at think, your socks now. Uh, so no, I, think, I think I got something else on today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All good. All good. Um, that's simply amazing. Um, so we'll fast forward now. Um, so you came and you, you took on Pitchell. Um, and uh, my recent podcast with uh, Tori Greaves talked about her FKT on Pitchell. But um, we'll, we'll kind of uh, start with uh, what, what made you think of Pitchell and what brought that about? I think our mutual friend, Doug Daniels, the first one to bring it up to me um, a few years ago. Um, so I, I met Doug during uh, Quest for the Crest 50K a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, every time I come back here visit parents, he used to live in this area. And, and we'd right. go out on a run and, and chat about what what the cool things to do in the area were. And he talked about Pitchell quite a bit. So that was on the radar. And then uh, my dad does a lot of trail work in the area, and he maintains a lot of the trails uh, on the Mountain to Sea Trail that, great. that connects the two mountains. Um, so that kind of made it a little special and something that I always wanted to do. And um, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's awesome. The um, and uh, just so people listening, if you've not heard of of Pitchell, um, Pitchell is roughly uh, just over a hundred k. Um, you know, elevation varies based on watch, but what did you get? I, I usually hear about 16,000. Yeah. My watch said 14,000. Yeah. So anywhere yeah. from 14 to 16,000, depending on the watch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it, uh, it traverses, um, from Mount Pisgah to Mount Mitchell, which, um, Mount Mitchell is the iconic mountain, uh, because it's the tallest peak east of the Mississippi. So uh, a lot of the routes, uh, I don't know if you've heard of some of the fun stuff that's been going on here, but we now have Archel, which you and I were talking about Art Loeb. So you start out on the Art Loeb and hit the mountains to see, and then do over to Pisgah and then do Pitchell. Uh, which is roughly 100 miles. Uh, and then another one is Gritchell, which is Grandfather Mountain, <laughs> over to Mount Mitchell, which is, again, roughly 100 miles. So uh, we're getting all sorts of itchels. <laughs> um, but um, so you, um, how much did you get to see this course prior to actually doing it? I've ran, I've gone up Pisgah with Doug before, and I've done some small sections, I think, more in like the Folk Art Center. Mm-hmm. And then I'd been up uh, like the Black, or the quest for the crest area and mm-hmm. that uh is it the black crest the, the, yeah, yep uh, so I, I've, I've seen yeah i've seen some of it but definitely less than i thought once i was <laughs> was out on course a lot of it looked unfamiliar yeah once well, i was out there it, it, i mean you said you took a few wrong turns um mm-hmm. but they were pretty minor uh yeah nothing more than a couple minutes um where i had to turn back um mostly at road crossings or uh yeah the road crossings and then there was one later on um on the way up to walker knob there mm. was uh there's the one trail that went up to the road and i didn't see the switchback that the mountain sea trail stayed on that went back down yep. so that one i think was my longest and that probably took three minutes or so of, okay. of wondering where i was <laughs> gotcha how did you realize you were off you just didn't see the white blazer i i had the the route downloaded my watch so i was looking mm. looking to make sure i was on track and it would give me a little notification if i was off and oh, okay. then so i was wondering all right where, where's it go from here <laughs> which watch were you using i uh, we're the cinto 9 with a barometer in nice. it and it's super powerful yep. watch and right on. does all all this fun stuff yeah. all the gadgets yeah walker knob's a pretty neat area there's a an old airplane wreckage up there oh cool um, not too far off the trail um, but that's, a, it's, it's, it's tough. That's that last section. Um, we'll, we'll talk about that, but, um, so, um, you had a, a number of challenges for this run. Um, were you, you were able to drive up to Pisgah 
No. No. So how'd that go? No. Um, <laughs> I think it was route one, uh, 151. 151, yes. Yeah, it took me about four miles from the summit. So I had about a four-mile, 1,500-foot hike to get to the start. <laughs> and so I did that in just about an hour or so. Um, yeah, and I mean, just starting out. Right. I was, had a 2.30 wake up. Oh, God. And uh, then drove about a half hour or so to get to the end of 151 yep. where the, the route was closed. And yep. then another hour hike in so i didn't woke up at 2 30 and didn't get started on the actual pitch until almost five okay oh my gosh so how was uh you know uh for those of you that don't know our our area was just hit by uh snow and ice but uh you got ahead of that storm but how was it up on pitchell when you got up there it was totally good Pistol, yeah excuse me. Uh-huh. it was good yeah so yeah the temperature was okay yeah, I mean, as, as good as you can expect on, I yeah. uh, did it on the winter solstice, nice. so the shortest day of the year, but yeah, <laughs> as much as, uh, as, as good as you can hope for anyway. Right on, right on. So, um, how far down was the parkway closed? Um, it was closed right at 151, so okay. we couldn't actually get on the parkway at all. Okay. And, uh, I, did, I think I could have made it a little shorter if I would have known which trail to take up to Pisgah, but mm-hmm. stayed on the parkway all the way into the parking lot. Gotcha. And, uh, yeah, it was almost four miles up to the summit of, pitch, of uh, Pisgah. <laughs> and then did you have uh, a crew along the way? My dad was the, the only crew I had. Yeah. And he, uh drove out at we left the house right around three o'clock so he was out there all day with me and um yeah he's stayed at 151 at the end of that and then uh was crewing the rest of the day as much as possible nice that's great what did you carry how did you go about it did you have a pack handhelds what did, which way did you take it uh had a little bit of everything so i started out with a pack um for that first hike up and then run back down to the car and then uh just swapped out some bottles there and then it was about 18 miles before getting down to the river and from there it, there's about a 20 mile segment where i could see my dad every i mean right. often enough i was just carrying a handheld all the way through through the folk art center all the way to ox ox, creek. ox, ox creek road yep. and there i think i took a pack and then uh that's actually where the the parkway was closed from there on out and uh <laughs> brought my mountain bike out and my dad biked in on the on uh, the blue ridge parkway he had something like a a seven mile 1500 foot bike ride to get up to uh like potato field gap i think is the name of that so he biked up there with another pack (laughs) and uh had something like like 90 ounces of water and the food i needed to do the rest of the run and get down to the campground at the end so it's definitely like a little more hectic than a normal pitchel route as right. far as crewing and that stuff yeah. goes. Oh my gosh, that's fantastic! Yeah, well, we'll talk about the the end here in a little bit because that's a story in and of itself. But um, <laughs> um, so um, you know the, uh, the the beginning is you know it's it, coming down Pisgah is you know it's it's rocky. It, you're you know probably coming down. You said around five a.m. So it's still a little bit dark, right? Yeah, totally yeah. in the dark. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Um, but uh, how were the rocks? Were they were they dry or were they wet? Uh, they're they're mostly dry, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was still tired. I didn't sleep well the night before, and I fell like three times in the first three miles of oh, starting gosh. the Pisgah. But those are my only falls of the, the whole day. I feel yeah. like I kind of woke up after. It's probably one of the more you know kind of technical sections yeah. of the trail oh, yeah. up there with all the rocks. Um, and then you got onto shut in, which brings you down to the river. That was pretty uneventful. Yeah. I mean, those are just smooth, fast miles yeah. all downhill. So, and, uh, I didn't get to quite go through the Strava data, but, um, did you have any, 
uh, crowns coming down from from Strava? <laughs> no, I think there's enough fast people around here. It, uh, no, I, I ran uh, almost exactly the same splits as uh, Sean Pope's time, okay. all the way down to the river. I think Strava said we were within 20 seconds of each other. Wow, wow. On that segment, yeah. So you were you knew where Sean was, and you knew. Yeah, yeah. I was definitely tracking that the yeah. whole way. Oh, cool, mm-hmm. nice. Um, and then the next section is really, it's smooth and runnable all the way to full cart. It's uh, very fast. Yeah. yeah. Did, how'd you feel through that section? Great. Yeah. yeah. I was doing eight mile, eight minute miles and change through nice. there. Yeah. Sweet. Super Sweet. fast and just a handheld and seeing, seeing my dad every couple miles and cool. he's real smooth the transitions, just swapping awesome. bottles and, nice. and keep moving. And that, that puts you at full cart, which is halfway. so you're mm-hmm. at halfway now. How, how are you on, uh, the, uh, FKT pace? Um, I, I think uh, by the time I got to the Folk Art Center, just like maybe a minute or two under under Pope's time. Okay. So almost tied with him through there. Yeah. Nice. Right on. The the back half um, is, I mean, that's where... <laughs> that's all the climbing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's where everything happens. Uh-huh. Um, and so, um, you know, the... Uh, um, the higher elevations as you start to get towards Mitchell, those can have a lot more ice. What were you finding as you as you got closer to Mitchell, was there any ice? Um, not a ton of ice. The, like near Walker Knob area, that was probably the iciest area. Um, and there were small sections of it where it was a little sketchy, but nothing too bad. I'd gone up to Pinnacle Lane Point a couple of days before to check out the snow. Um, and it had melted a fair amount from the few days before I'd gone up there, um, but snow wasn't a huge issue. There was snow on the trail for sure, yeah. um, but it was still pretty soft at higher elevations. It wasn't real icy for the most part. Um, there were a couple spots where it had melted and refroze on the trail, but um, it wasn't too bad until coming off of Mitchell. <laughs> and um, I mean, you know, you've done UTMB, which is pacerless, so you're you're used to being, you know, uh, without pacers. For uh, for long periods of times, how is how is that being alone on this this route? Um, yeah, I guess I'm pretty comfortable with it. Most of the things I've done this year have been solo between COVID and just <laughs> you know. I, Are I you a know. music guy or? Uh, yeah, yeah. Been into Mac Miller a lot recently, so <laughs> a lot of that. Um, and there, since the parkway is closed, there's almost nobody. It was pretty notable to. I saw somebody up on Walker Knob, and uh, when I saw him, I kind of yelled at him, like, hey, what are you doing here? <laughs> um, but yeah, for the most part, didn't see anybody else. Wow. That's pretty cool. I mean, you know, especially the mountains to see is such a, a well-traveled trail to, to not see many people. Yeah, when a little snowstorm, I think, scared a lot of people yeah. off. Yeah, for sure. And, and craggy can be a mess, too. Uh, was everything good through there? Because that can be super wet at times. Um, craggy, um, there's... Um, uh, when you come through there, it's, there's a lot of rock. It's like probably the second rockiest section. It's before you get to Greybeard. Um, it's, um, uh, let's see. So after Potato Hill and all that, you yeah. go through, um, Rattlesnake Lodge. All okay. That, and I then, do remember that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then there's like, there's a turnoff for, um, uh, what's the waterfall? Um, but um, anyhow, it's it's super rocky. But if it's if you're not remembering anything, that's probably good. <laughs> yeah, I think that area had a lot of snow on top of it, and uh, I think I remember being pretty thankful that it hadn't melted and refroze, and I was still able to get some good traction going over the snow and stuff. Um, but a lot of that was hiking too. You know, it's just yeah. so steep and technical that you're not moving that fast. So. Did you have anything um, for your your feet, like any katula or anything like that, just in case? No, no. no. I, was, um, yeah. I brought trekking poles. I, I took them at, uh, at Ox Creek Road, mm. 
and had those the rest of the way and definitely needed but yeah um, no I, I was fine with uh yeah just shoes just shoes yeah right cool um so um now we've we've gotten up um walker knob is uh that's a i love that section it's it's so pretty up there and then you get onto uh, uh the entrance road for mitchell um and then it's actually a nice little kind of old road bed or railroad bed um which you were able to move well through that section yeah the bunkum trail yes. yeah that was uh was, i mean there's almost no running on walker knob going through that even on the downhill through there it's just so rooty and and there was a little bit of ice coming off of walker knob so that was pretty slow and it was really a pretty big relief once you got to bunkum road i was able to run you know some sub 10 minute miles through there um so yeah that was really nice and especially once you get there you know it's it's a mile of of climbing to get to the top of mitchell so it's like all right just got to push through this flat runnable section and then you can yep. walk the rest of the way up <laughs> it's always funny to look forward to the walking sections but um uh, and so you get up uh going up mitchell um where were you at that point so far as uh as time on the fkt i know going into uh potato field gap i had uh a 17 minute lead on on pope's time so i I think I got most of that on that climb up Pinnacle Lane. Right before that, I was just you know two or three minutes ahead. So put a little bit of gap going up to Pinnacle Lane, and then uh, from there, yeah, 17 minutes up. And I think I finished 32 minutes ahead of, of Pope's time. So That's beautiful. Um, wow. Yeah, on the climbing stuff is definitely where I made my money. <laughs> so you finished on top of Mitchell. Uh, the park's closed. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody's up there. Nobody's it's up just there. Uh, had a wind warning that evening. So it's, yeah, about like forty, maybe fifty miles an hour winds up there when I was up there. And uh, your dad didn't go up there, did he? No. No. Okay. No. Yeah. There's nobody up there. I took a little video. Took a picture, and, and I was like, I don't know what else to do. I guess yeah. I'll go back down now. Yeah. So you had a hike down uh, the old Mitchell Trail down to um, the Black Mountain Campground. Yeah, it's about five and a half miles and like thirty five hundred feet down to get yeah. down there, and uh, that was the worst trail of the whole thing as far as ice and stuff goes. It had all melted and refrozen. And I mean, especially at the top, the trail is just a riverbed of ice. Yeah. And I, I remember the first third of a mile took me 20 minutes. It just <laughs> one, I was like pretty wrecked from the run. Yeah. But then, uh, then just like, oh man, I, I was not prepared to just oh, ice God. skate down. Jeez. So four, you know, four mile hike in and a six, six and a half mile hike out. Mm-hmm. So you've added 10 miles onto the, 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 you know, the, the day. Yeah. And, and we um, were debating whether or not to bring a headlamp on that, that, so I had to get it at Ox Creek, yep. or, sorry, Potato Field Gap. And I, was, I was saying, no, I don't need a headlamp. And my dad ended up throwing one in there. Oh, yeah. And uh, I was pretty glad he did because that, that descent took me about an hour longer than I was expecting. Oh, my gosh. Oh, well, good for dad. <laughs> good <laughs> yeah. for having the foresight of that. Uh, so th- your dad saw you at Ox Creek. That was the last time you saw him? In the car. And then he, yeah, he mountain oh, biked, he up, mountain biked to, up to Potato Field Gap okay. on the... Uh, yeah, on the parkway. And then Potato Field was that was the that last. was the last time I saw okay. him, which is about 17 miles from the summit. Right, and then you had another six, so you had like yeah. almost a, a marathon. Yeah, <laughs> about. Uh-huh. Yeah, were you, were you okay? Like you had enough to get you down? Yeah, I was yeah. all good as far as food and water stuff. Yeah. That really planned that out pretty well. Good, good. And you finished. You said you know obviously you were a little tired, but legs were <laughs> they were okay to get you down? Yeah, it was oh it was much more the trail slowing me down than than. <laughs> Yeah, messed up you, legs. Okay. That's <laughs> yeah. amazing. Uh, so you got back down to Black Mountain Campground. Dad met you there. Uh huh. Oh wow, gosh. 
that's a, a good drive too, especially with all the, the closure. So yeah, um, we thought the timing would be pretty close. If I could call him at the top of Mitchell, tell him when I was done, then right. from his house down to the campground, hopefully be about the same amount of time as, as me getting down, but yeah. it took me longer than I thought. So <laughs> he ended up hiking up with a headlamp too, and met me about a mile from the car That's cool. and it's, walked and, down together. Um, originally you were going to go after it on Tuesday, but you decided to go to Monday. Was it just because of the incoming weather? Um, I just thought the solstice was a better day to do yeah. it, you know, kind yeah. of special day. And That's cool. And, uh, and what was your last event prior to Pitchell? What was the last big effort you had done? I, let's see, last like real race kind of effort. I did, uh, the Tahoe Rim Trail mm. unsupported right. in, uh, let's see, that was July 3rd. July 3rd. I started that. Yeah. It was a 171 mile loop. Right. right. And how'd that go? Uh, it went great. Yeah. Did it totally unsupported. So I carried everything I needed right from the start and, uh, yeah, broke the unsupported record by about 10 hours, I think. Nice. And that's... it was just a couple hours off, uh, Killian's supported record. That's, it seems like, uh, so, you know, so many people have gone for that, that Tahoe, uh, rim this year between supported and unsupported. So, mm-hmm. you, and you're still holding that. <laughs> that yeah. That, I think that's a pretty solid unsupported record. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd be pretty impressed if that went down. That's amazing to do unsupported. So, um, I mean, if you don't mind, we can touch on that one too. Sure. Um, yeah. So, um, I mean, was how much of that was on the Tahoe 200 course? A fair amount of it. Uh, the Tahoe 200 course couldn't go through any of the wilderness areas. Mm-hmm. And then they wanted to make it 200 miles. So they did this this weird bump out where they went through that Jeep Rubicon Trail mm-hmm. area. And gotcha. then they couldn't go through the Desolation Wilderness area, okay. which is just a beautiful section. It's very worthwhile to run through. Um, and then they did some funny stuff to go to aid stations. Um, but I'd seen probably 70, 80% of it wow. before going out there. That's pretty cool. Uh, it's amazing. Um, so 171 miles. And what's your elevation gain on that? Uh, somewhere... Somewhere over 30,000 feet, 35,000, something like that. Oh, God. And what was your, uh, how big was your pack for an unsupported venture? I, like I took the, the Ultimate Direction PB vest. So okay. I think that's something like a, a 15 liter pack. Yeah. And had, like, I counted up right around 10,000 calories I was taken with and then had a water filter okay. that I used for some of the time before I got too lazy <laughs> to filter the water anymore. <laughs> um, and then just uh, a light jacket and some buffs. But yeah. it has very minimal. Man, um, that's incredible. So it's 10,000 calories. What does that look like for you? Uh, a lot of it was stuff to mix in with the water. So a lot of tailwind and noon. Okay. And then uh, some gels and candies. Snickers are always good. Yeah. Um, What's the most dense thing that you carry? Calorie dense. Oh, these uh, these star crunch things. They're star like, crunch. I don't know. They're, let's see something we can reference maybe smaller than like a hockey puck okay and they're like 350 calories they're just <laughs> they're super dense oh um gosh. i don't know snickers are tough to beat too though yeah, absolutely. like 250 calories for yeah. something like that it's pretty good yeah absolutely so all right you're you're carrying uh, how much would you say your pack was weighing i think it was just over 10 pounds without any water yeah yeah wow. so and, this, and what were you carrying like body bottles or um, I had one big, uh, like the be free filter. Okay. So I had a, a one liter with that. And then I had, uh, a half liter of, yeah, body bottle, the soft bottles. The soft and then, so I only had a liter and a half of fluids at any one time. Okay. Um, man, it's, um, the poles. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And were uh-huh. those constantly in your hands? Um, most of the time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, the poles I use are like super lightweight. So I just what, what do you kinda, use? 
the ultimate direction fkt oh, okay. poles yeah. they're something like six ounces a piece they, right. they weigh almost nothing to but, and they're rigid right yeah, yeah non-collapsible at all yeah. yeah okay um so they're not too bad yeah, yeah. that's crazy oh my god I, i'm just trying to get that through my head that you just did all that by yourself um, <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible um so um you um and what <laughs> i can't even wrap my brain around how long did that take <laughs> Uh, I think I, I can't remember just over 40 hours, maybe 40, 40. 40, 15 or something oh like God. that. Jeez. So yeah, I started at like six in the morning on July 3rd and, July uh, 3rd. I, was, I was going after Killian's record. So I was hoping okay. July 4th to get the record back to an American, but I uh, <laughs> didn't quite pull that off. So oh. finished uh, a little bit after sunset on July 4th. Would, would you think you would do it supported and see if you could go after that record? Uh, a guy, Adam Kimball broke it oh, right, uh, right, right, a couple yes. weeks after I, me. So yeah. he's, uh, he stole that thunder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. God. Um, so what did Adam run? He, uh, I think, 37 and a half hours. Oh, God. That's so, incredible. yeah, he, he got my time by almost three hours, I think. Right, but supported. And, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, got Killian's time by, like, 45 minutes or so. What, and what made you decide to go unsupported? Again, well, or? I don't I haven't done a great job planning things out in 2020. So between <laughs> between like uh, finally deciding to go after this and just not wanting to deal with crew and pacers, yeah. just to simplify everything. Sure, um, that was the biggest reason. Just not wanting to yeah to have a bunch make of it more complicated. And, uh, yeah. yeah, I get that. That's and, cool, uh, man. Uh, so um, I know that's it's a big step from something like Tahoe to something like the Appalachian Trail, but any thoughts of like long trail like that not necessarily appalachian trail but something that may pique your interest like colorado trail or something uh yeah i, I crewed a buddy who broke the colorado trail this summer um wow. and uh i just i don't know always looking at other stuff saw the arizona trail fkt I was looking at that earlier yeah uh, i mean it was like yesterday <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah always looking at these um last year i was planning on or i guess it's still this year in 2020 i was planning on hiking the pacific crest trail oh, wow. up to western states to run that so that's kind of in the back of my mind. It's a, a maybe too. Oh wow, that's uh, that's so cool. My God. So um, something like Tahoe, uh, you, you you finished this 170 miles. Um, how did you feel afterwards? I mean, were you? Because I mean, we went for a run today, and like you said, you felt great and fine. I mean, you know, Pitchell is a hard effort, but you know, I can't imagine something like Tahoe. How did that feel after? Um, it's definitely a tiredness. It's. I mean, it's a slow effort. You're doing like 14, 15 minute miles, I think is what I averaged. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not quite the pounding you get like from running a marathon. You don't get that high impact, but I mean, just staying up for 40 hours running and moving, um, that's, uh, that wears on you and that takes a while to recover. But I don't know. Also, it seems like the more of these I do, the easier it is to recover from them. So sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's incredible. Oh my God. So, um, you, you obviously geared down for a little while. Um, and then what does your average week look like so far as training? Like what kind of, do you go by time? Do you go by mileage? What do you do? Uh, I just kind of look at it all. Um, I like to look at time and elevation gain and mileage. And I do a lot of cross training too. I do a fair amount of mountain biking and skiing and that kind of stuff. So I, in like an ideal week, I'll run like 60 to 70 miles or so, and then add in a few hours of mountain biking or skiing. Cool. But I feel pretty comfortable somewhere between like 15 and 20 hours of like endurance work a week. Yeah. 
Do you shoot for a elevation gain? Is there a, like a benchmark that you shoot for, or you just whatever comes? Yeah, I, I like to get a lot of gain. Um, during the summertime, we were trying to get 100,000 feet a month, mm. which I never ended up doing just with running. Had to <laughs> get some biking in there to get over that. Um, but uh, yeah, next year, trying to get a million feet in the year. That's, wow. that's, some, uh, that's a, a goal I'd wow. like to do. I think I... I'll get right around 900,000 this year. So Jeez, just a awesome. little bump up for next yeah, year. That's fantastic. Um, and that we were talking on the run and it, it made me smile. Uh, you said that most of your, your workouts are uh, chasing uh, Strava segments. <laughs> I, it's just something that motivates me for sure. Yeah. If doing like a tempo run or something like that, yeah. it's way easier for me to get motivated to go after a, a couple mile segment versus <laughs> going on a track or a river path or something like that. Sure. That's great. Um, do you do any type of uh, speed intervals or anything like that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I, I coach our uh, local running club doing uh, track Tuesdays out in Durango. Nice. And uh, I like to do those kind of workouts. And yeah. then uh, usually one or two a week, some kind of yeah. tempo and, and then some kind of shorter interval. Do you ever do any uh, like shorter road races or anything like that to spice things up? I haven't recently. Every winter... I, Recently, I've been telling myself, I'll, I'll train and run a marathon this winter, <laughs> and I haven't done it yet. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's hard to drag maybe this year. This year will be the year I do yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to drag yourself out for a road race. Oh, man. Uh, it, have you done a road marathon previously? Uh, the last one I ran was, I ran Boston in okay. 2013. The year got bombed. Oh, my gosh. So, did you finish prior to the bombing? I did, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was done a couple hours before the oh, bomb, good, good. maybe an hour and a half or so. Okay, so where um, did that put you? Uh, two forty-two, still my uh, your PR marathon PR. Oh, nice, yeah, that's awesome. So I don't think I can beat that right now. Yeah. <laughs> so that's another thing. Like, ooh, uh. I hear you. I, I hear you. That's awesome though. Um, and so Durango, it's it's you know you, you came from the East Coast, grew up in Ohio. You said, yeah. Um, and uh, what do you find? Uh, about Durango, like the atmosphere there. It sounds like you've got a great group of people. Uh, it sounds very conducive to training. So Yeah, definitely an outdoor-oriented community. Um, lots of good trail runners and just outdoor enthusiasts. Um, it's it's very humbling to be there. Any <laughs> any sport you do, you can, you can get beat. Like, I, I can't win a 5K <laughs> in Durango. There's always some uh, yeah, somebody who's faster than me and, and stronger. Yeah, yes. so it, it's cool to be a part of a community that that's really great. embraces the outdoors and, and really training in these long distance runs. And you've gotten into coaching too. Um, you're coaching obviously runners, but, um, do you coach anything else? Uh, yeah, I got, uh, started taking ski clients this winter. Um, that's cool. so yeah, it's definitely an exciting progression. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, how long have you been coaching? Uh, for, let's see about four years now. Okay. Yeah. Right Very good. And, um, what's your, um, your background in mountain biking because you said you do a lot of mountain biking um just for fun mostly yeah. getting friends to drag me out for the most <laughs> part um but i really enjoy the same reason i like long distance running you get to explore and, and see parts of the world that are very difficult to see and mountain biking is kind of just another access to doing that and so some uh like biking the white rim i did that this year uh in utah it's like a hundred mile route wow. that would be it'd be very painful. People do run that, but uh, it's a lot easier to do it on a bike. <laughs> um, and I just enjoy getting out and, and seeing uh, seeing these kind of things. Do you um, strength train as well? Do you do anything? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. What, what type? Excuse me. What type of things do you do? Um, I 
do like two different kinds of workouts mostly. I do one like muscular endurance workout stolen okay. from uh, Uphill Athlete. It's a, yep. a book and a, yep, a training sure. program. Um, just involves a lot of lunges and step ups and that kind of stuff. Mostly body weight, sometimes just small amount of weight. Okay. And then I do uh, like a heavy lift where either like a, a hex bar deadlift mm-hmm. or a squat and kind of focused around a superset of that. Um, but those two workouts are, are most of my strength training. Awesome. Awesome. Um, and do you have a, a website? Uh, nope. Nope. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> What's the uh, easiest way for people to connect with you? Um, I'm on all social media, but uh, with the tag, my last name, Curtin103. I started wrestling when I got that, or I, w- <laughs> I was wrestling at the time in a 103-pound weight class. So I've gotten bigger since then, but... <laughs> C-U-R-T-I-N, right? Correct. Okay, just so people spell it correctly. Yep. <laughs> so, Curtin103? Yep. All right, that's your tags. Um, anything we're remiss to not say? Mm, I don't know. Merry <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> and Happy New Year. <laughs> Thank you so much for the time here, Kyle. I really appreciate you coming over and, and sharing the story here. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. Absolutely. <laughs> Congratulations once again to both runners, um, Sam Reed and Kyle Curtin. Amazing jobs, amazing FKTs. Um, really cool to see people pushing the boundaries. I just really appreciate their time and um, them coming on. So um, thank you guys. Uh, in other news, uh, as we approach the new year here, uh, 2021 is finally upon us. Um, you know, lots of uh, lots of things coming up. Um, I've got some things that. Um, I'm working on on the uh, the back burner, but uh, on the front burners, I am uh, I'm taking on another coach um, in Thad McNeil. If you get my newsletter, you are introduced to Thad. Um, so things are getting updated, website, etc., with uh, Thad's information. Um, Thad is a very young and enthusiastic runner. I really love his energy. He, um, he, he's really, really good at coaching people from, uh, 50k down. Uh, I hope to kind of help him and, and mentor him, uh, through his, uh, coaching process and, and give him some insights and ideas and hopefully, um, you know, give him some, some further strengths at the longer distances. But, uh, if you're looking for, uh, a new coach, um, you know, and, and want to reach out to us, um, my email is runningpains at gmail.com and, um, Thad's email is mrrunningpainsthad at gmail.com. Um, we'll also have links on our website, mrrunningpains.com, that you can reach out to either of us for coaching. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, just really excited to have Thad on board. And uh, we'll have a podcast with Thad so uh, he can introduce himself and kind of talk about his philosophy and methodologies. So that will be a, uh, an upcoming guest. I also have uh, another episode coming up with uh, Miriam Saloon, um, my uh, my resident uh, physical therapist on this uh, podcast. We're doing a focus on uh, knees and a special on knees and, and what can go wrong on the knee, what you can do to keep your knees healthy, even some things that potentially could go wrong with uh with things that uh, that are out on the market right now, uh, we're going to dive into some current research and, and talk about some some things that uh, might potentially hurt you. So um, stay tuned for that. Um, also, been requested to do a podcast about uh, running with your dog. 
uh, when should you start? How should you do it? So um, we're I'm working on that. That's uh, another one in the works. So got you know quite a few podcasts coming up. So stay tuned for those. Um, you know, as I mentioned just a little bit earlier, the, uh, po- the my newsletter just came out. So uh, I did a December uh, January newsletter that um, can be found on uh, mrrunningpains.com. You can subscribe there as well. But uh, all of my um, newsletters and podcasts are archived there on the uh, on the website. Uh, so you can subscribe to the newsletter there. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, you can do so on your favorite listening platform. Um, I host on Podbean, um, Podbean, uh, B-E-A-N, dot com. So you can subscribe on Podbean dot com or uh, iTunes. You know, there it's uh, hopefully on all the platforms. So um, you know, please subscribe, uh, leave a review. Share it if you would. Um, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. Uh, I certainly am. Uh, it's really uh, opened up a lot of doors. You know, my my really my focus was just to uh, try to give back to uh, the sport that's given me so much, and uh, this was a, a great way to kind of uh, take that avenue. So really enjoying that. Um, you know, races are kind of uh, coming and going. We're, we're seeing some still happening. Uh, looks like uh, it's basically up to the permit permitting entity as to whether they're going to happen or not. Um, as for myself, I'm supposed to race, uh, January 9th at the South mountains 50 K. Um, so hopefully, uh, I'll see some of, uh, the, uh, North Carolina and Southeast folks out there. Um, if you see me and, uh, you want to say, Hey, um, please, you know, stop by and, uh, and, uh, give me a, a Hey, how you do? <laughs> I'd love to love to meet you and, uh, and talk with you. Um, those of you that have, uh, ideas for the podcast, uh, please reach out. Um, you know, again, runningpains at gmail.com is my email. Um, you know, uh, people have been asking questions on Strava, which is awesome. Um, I'm Aaron Saft, MR running pains on Strava. So, um, you know, by all means ask away. Um, uh, my Facebook page, MR running pains coaching. Uh, you know, I post a lot of stuff on there. Um, trying to post some more helpful articles and stuff like that, uh, on that site. So, um, you can follow along, um, on the, uh, the Facebook page and I'm also MR running pains on Instagram, uh, the YouTube channel. Um, it's been a <laughs> busy holiday here, uh, but we are, uh, my son and I are working on a few videos to, to post, uh, up on there. Uh, I've had a few requests for videos, so, um, you know, subscribe to the channel. Uh, the podcast can also be found on YouTube. So, um, subscribe to the channel and, uh, you'll know when, uh, when I upload an episode, they, uh, they usually launch, well, they always launch on Thursday morning at 6am. So Thursday, 6am podcast is always coming out. Um, I certainly appreciate ultra running magazine for, um, you know, posting the podcast every now and again in their e-newsletter. That's pretty awesome. Um, and, uh, you know, I appreciate you guys, obviously, for, for tuning in and listening. Um, I am uh, probably, after the new year here, going to open up to uh, to Patreon um, to kind of um, help with some of the costs. The uh, I have my remote uh, recording platform does cost money. Um, so, uh, you know, if, if you're uh, able to and want to, you know, contribute a dollar a month uh, or whatever you can do, I certainly do appreciate that. Uh, like I said, after the... Uh, the first of the year, I'll probably have that. So after this episode, uh, I'm going to 
uh, open it up to uh, to donations and uh, you know offset some of these costs that that I'm incurring for for putting on the podcast, maintaining the website, all that good stuff. Um, you know, it's it really is helpful. Uh, never hope to make money off this podcast, but you know, hopefully, want to make it sustainable so I can keep it going and, and uh, keep bringing the episodes to you. If you have ideas for guests, again, uh, let me know. Uh, ideas for podcasts, uh, episodes. Obviously, you know I've got a I've got a number of uh, ideas and things that are coming up, but always up for ideas and uh, and new conversations. So if you uh, if you'd like to be a guest, uh, that's great too. You know, let me know your story and um, love to hear from you. Um, other than that, um, like I said, you know if, if you're looking for coaching, um, my information is on the website. <clears throat> um, got Thad coming on board, so uh, we're growing. And I'm, I'm excited. So um, hopefully I can be a part of your process. So if you're interested in that conversation, again, please reach out. And uh, I want to wish everybody a very happy new year. Thank you guys for, for tuning in, for being a part of this, uh, for growing with me. Uh, I'm just about to hit 7,000 downloads. Uh, haven't quite reached uh, 52 episodes or uh, a year worth of episodes yet. But, I mean, that's I'm, I'm really happy with the, uh, the progress of this uh of this podcast. So, and that wouldn't happen without you guys. So sincerely, thank you very much. Um, I hope 2021 brings everybody, um, a, a much, much happier and brighter year. Um, and, uh, you know, we get back to some racing. Like I said, I have some more exciting news to bring forward. Um, and, uh, as I'm able to, I'll share that with you. So, um, until then keep running my friends, stay healthy, stay safe, and we'll talk to you next week.